is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Ladies and gentlemen, I am about to touch the third rail. I am about to touch the third rail for the first week of March. You do not touch issues surrounding International Women's Day. It's March 7th today, but March 8th is International Women's Day, and you are going to be fed, well, a lot of baffle gab and BS over the next little while in terms of why we need to do more for women. Now, let me get this off my chest, off off the top. I definitely think that, well, I believe to my core that men and women are created equal, that we all deserve to be paid equally for the work that we do. But unfortunately, due to activists, what you're going to be fed over the next 24 hours is a load of garbage. Now, you've heard me say before, I got four kids. They're all about to, you know, next couple of years, they're all entering the workforce. I got two boys. I got two girls. Do you think that I want the girls paid less than the boys? No. Now, they may end up one being paid more than the other. Girls could definitely be making more money, let me tell you. Then the boys or the boys could be making more money. It depends on what type of job they do, how how ambitious they are, all of these factors. Why on earth would I want women paid less? And as I keep pointing out, if you could pay women a third of what, a third less than what you pay men, why wouldn't you just hire women to do the job? Okay. So now that we've got that out of the way, I want to point out a few things. Because, as I said, over the next 24 hours, you are going to get an awful lot of baffle gab and BS. And politicians will talk about the gender wage gap. And you'll hear that women earn 77 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man earns, or 69 cents. Did you know that last week in the middle of the budget, Bill Morneau actually claimed that women only earn 69 cents on the dollar... For every dollar a man makes. Well, if I could hire a man for a dollar an hour or a woman for 69 cents again, why wouldn't I just hire all women? Hmm. I'll just hire all women. I'll pay them 69 cents on the dollar. I'm going to make more money than the guy down the street that's being a sexist pig and hiring just men. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that's what Bill Morneau claimed. Now, how do they arrive at this? This is actually how they calculate it. They take all the money that men earn and all the money that women earn, and they just divide it equally by the number of men working and the number of women working. They don't take into into account that more women work part-time than men, that men work on average more hours per week than women, and they just say, all right, this is the wage gap. It's 31%. So you're comparing a, a cashier at your grocery store to someone that might be running a hospital. One happens to be a woman, one happens to be a man. Oh, okay, but they're not doing the same job. You're also going to keep hearing this term, equal pay for equal work. Now, that used to mean doing the same job. It no longer does. It doesn't even mean doing a similar job. It means if I think it's the same, such as a little while ago, one of the unions claiming that, well, Airline flight attendants are just as valuable as the pilots. While I don't doubt the value of 
airline flight attendants. I can do without my Diet Coke or my adult beverage while on a plane. I can't do without the pilot. Like I said, you're going to get an awful lot of baffle gab and BS. Kathleen Wynne, Ontario's premier for now, introduced legislation this week. This is how baffy it is. She introduced legislation to say that you've got to post the wage band for a job so that women know what the job is going in so that they're not being paid less than men. This is part of her legislation and part of her desperate attempt to stay in power is to try and make it a gender issue and say women are being paid less than men because they don't know what the job pays. A recent McKinsey and Company study suggests that if women were fully engaged in the economy, it would add $60 billion to Ontario's annual GDP by 2026. I'm all in favor of that. Hey, I am too. But you know what? When you listen to left-wing politicians, what they do, what they tell you is that if we just had more social programs, if we just had national daycare, more women would be in the workforce. Well, let me take you to what's called the labor market survey. You know it as the unemployment report that comes out. I went into the tables and I said, show me the participation rate for men and women by certain provinces. And I decided to look at the two big left-wing provinces, Ontario and Quebec, and compare them to Saskatchewan and Manitoba, where they've had the oil boom. Because I've, I've looked at this before and I knew that more women were in the workforce in those two provinces than they were in Ontario and Quebec. And we're told, hey, we've got to have, we've got to have national daycare. We've got to have government daycare. That'll get more women in the workforce. All right. What is the unemployment rate or sorry, the uh, participation rate in Quebec? Well, 68.8% of men that are Uh, of working age, are in the workforce in Quebec. For women, it's 60.9. Hmm. Interesting. In Ontario, what's the participation rate? The participation rate in Ontario is 69.1 for men, 60.9 for women. These are two great socialist provinces. They've got to have far better services than those Western rubes, right? All right. Well, let's scroll down and see. Uh, 74% participation rate in Saskatchewan for men, 63.7% participation rate for women. So more men are in the workforce in Saskatchewan and more women are in the workforce as a percentage of the available population than in Ontario or Quebec. What about Alberta? Well, they're progressive now. They're run by the NDP. 78% labor force participation rate in Alberta. 65.9% for women. But we keep being told uh, we don't need a booming economy. We don't. And look, they feel like their economy's in the doldrums and they still have a higher participation rate for women. So what's the reality here? The reality isn't that we need government programs to get women into the workforce. The reality is that we need a booming economy. We need things to be doing well. And women will say, you know what? It's not worth it staying home with the kids anymore. There's a job to be had out there, a job that pays well, and I'm going to go out and get it. They need the economic security. That's what they want. That's what men want. That's what women want. The economic security. But again, you hear these stats. 
Wage gap of 31%. Wage gap of 26%. What's the actual reality? It's 8%. According to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cite this crazy right-wing source here. It's just 8%. According to Statistics Canada. This is from a, two, a report that looked at the 2011 numbers. And what did they find? They said the unexplained component amounts to roughly 8%, thereby implying that in broadly comparable industries and occupations, women's wages amounted to 92% of men's wages in 2011. 8%. Is that too big? Sure. Is it completely controlled for? No, but what what did they explain while they looked at age, education, province, union status, marital status, tenure, the occupation, the industry? And they came up with that. You know what's not in there? Average hours worked. And here's something that, again, you won't hear elsewhere. Between 2007 and 2011, women worked on average about six hours less than men per week. Women worked on average 33.2 hours versus 39.5 hours, according to, again, I'm citing that radical source, Statistics Canada. There are industries where women make more. There are industries where men make more. We are not going to all end up making the same. But if you were in the same job, yeah, you should be making the same amount. If you're doing the same job, you're getting the same results, there's going to be performance bonuses. Let's say that we're in sales and I sell more than you and you're a woman. Should I make more money? Absolutely. And guess what? If you sell more than me, you should make more money. But the idea that women are being oppressed with this earning 31 cents less per hour 31 cents on the dollar, or 69, they earn 69 cents on the dollar. That's what Bill Morneau said. That is complete and utter BS peddled by a government desperate to get women on side. The same reason that Kathleen Wynne is peddling it at the provincial level in Ontario. There was a time when women were paid less because they were women. Just for that fact alone, well, sweetheart, you're not the main breadwinner, so we don't have to pay you as much. Now, go put on some stockings and some heels and look pretty for us. Those days are gone, folks. Those days are gone, and they're not coming back. Is there a gap to close? Sure. If there's an 8% unexplained gap, that still doesn't make sense to me. If they factor in the hours and they find out it's 4%, that's still too, too much. But trying to come up with equality of outcomes when we all make different choices in our lives makes no sense at all. Unless you're a socialist, which maybe is the problem here. That's what Justin Trudeau and Kathleen Wynne and so many other politicians want us to go towards. I don't. I doubt you do either. Happy International Women's Day tomorrow. There's my gift to you, a bit of truth. If you're watching on the Facebook Live, join us for the rest of the program. You can catch it at CFRA.com or you can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Now, if you've already downloaded the iHeartRadio app, let me tell you, download it again. Uh, Just delete the old one 
Download the new one, iHeartRadio app 2.0, a vast improvement. I did it myself. It's so much better, easier to use, and you can listen to this radio station anywhere you go. And you know what? When you get to that time of the night where you can't hear us because you live up the valley or down in the Seaway Valley, you can still listen at home. Just plug in your phone to Wi-Fi and listen away. Download the iHeartRadio app 2.0 today. It's always free, Apple or Android. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. A national summit today on an issue that is near and dear to our hearts here in Ottawa and one that we will talk about later on in the program with Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, and that is the epidemic of guns and gangs in our city. A symposium held over at Old Ottawa City Hall on Sussex Drive. It's now called the Diefenbaker Building. Ralph Goodale, our public safety minister, Holding court there, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson was there. Toronto Mayor John Tory was there. Tory saying that uh, there are holes in Canada's systems for controlling guns that allow them to get into the hands of gangsters. Goodell saying there needs to be a coordinated approach to the problem. The problem is big. Uh, we are all concerned about that that uh, very negative increase in the uh, in the statistics. Uh, and we need to work together with full collaboration uh, to make sure that we're uh, reinforcing each other uh, in the ultimate objective of uh, bringing that trend line down again. And the good news is that they were actually focused on gain activity and gain issues. Unfortunately, far too often what they try and do is say, well, we'll crack down on this by cracking down on guns. And what they do is they crack down on the guys that go and shoot at the range or go hunting and aren't involved in shooting up our streets. They actually seem focused. I watched part of the proceedings today. It was all streamed online. Very much focused on getting people out of gangs. Very much focused on closing loopholes for people that traffic in illegal weapons. So, again, we'll talk about this more later on because this is an issue that affects our city. Think of all the shootings, the murders over the last few years. I I say it's tied to to fentanyl and the increase in opioids but maybe that's just me doubt it but i think uh, i think that's part of the problem the bank of canada is story number two you need to know is the bank of canada leaving its interest rate alone now if you have a, a variable rate mortgage which i had for years great way to save money um if you have a variable rate mortgage or a, a line of credit a credit card with floating rate this is good news for you The bad news is why they did it. The Bank of Canada leaving their interest rate alone for now at 1.25%. That's the benchmark overnight rate. Sebastian Lavois is the chief economist of Laurentian Bank Securities in Montreal. And he says part of the reason they're leaving it on hold is all the economic uncertainty, the news from south of the border on trade and tariffs. He says if threatened levies on steel and aluminum are applied... The central bank may even have to lower rates. If, uh, you know, the worst case scenario of some kind of a trade war goes ahead, well, you know, the chance of a rate cut this year are real. 
Well, the Bank of Canada does say, look, if the economy keeps going strong on a global scale, if the growth continues to be broad-based, then they will continue to look at hiking rates uh, rates in the future uh, to um, to deal with inflation and wage growth. So still remains to be seen what they're going to do down the road. But if you were worried about your uh, overnight uh, uh, rate going up, your variable, it's staying put for now. Story number three, a retreat by Patrick O'Shaughnessy, who is the Byward Market area owner, uh, business owner, who put out a a call and a petition to say something's got to be done about the the shelters in the area. And I, I hope to speak to Patrick soon because I think he's been unfairly maligned because of a choice of word he used. He called the shelters cancer, a cancer on the market. And I think he probably regrets that now. And Peter Tilly is with the Union Mission and has talked extensively about how much it hurt to hear that. When you first hear a term like the shelters are a cancer in the city of Ottawa, the first thing someone like myself has to do from my years at the food bank and now working with the homeless here at the Ottawa Mission is step back and take a deep breath because it hurts. Well, it hurts, but that doesn't mean there aren't problems, Peter. More than 2,000 people signed on to the petition before it was taken down and withdrawn. Um, what is remarkable is that in all of this, nobody's talked about the issues around it. They've focused on one word and talked about how unfortunate it is. And that's why getting the wording right on these things is so important. The people that could do something about the problem have not done anything, will not do anything. Why? Because they're just going to sit there and focus on the word cancer. And that lets them get away with it. Story number four. We'll talk to John Wright about this soon. You heard him earlier today with Bill Carroll. He is behind Dart Insights and Communication, a longtime pollster saying the Ontario Liberals are headed for a meltdown. This is the lowest that I've ever seen. I mean, it can't grow into 19%. 19% of voters in Ontario say they would prefer the Ontario Liberals to win the next election, or as I said to Bill this morning, alternate headline 19% of people in Ontario hate their province. And story number five, uh, this relates to the first story, the guns and gains issue, because it relates to the opioid crisis. And the province of Ontario is going to authorize province-wide access to Narcan, a nasal spray, and they're going to offer it free of charge through pharmacies as part of their Ontario naloxone program for pharmacies. Uh, Narcan is essentially allowing uh, naloxone-type effects to be used with a nasal spray. Uh, Nasal spray, a four milligram uh, container, is the first and only needle-free formulation of naloxone for emergency treatment of known or suspected opioid overdoses. The fact that this will be free in every pharmacy in the province tells you the scope of the problem and that our leaders don't have any solutions at this point. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. How much did we pay for Bill Nye, the science guy, to come to Ottawa? You'll be shocked when I tell you after this. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. And time keeps dragging on. 
train keeps rolling right out of San Antonio. How do you not love Johnny Cash? Good news for anyone trying to vote in the Ontario PC leadership race. If you didn't hear it in the news headlines with Dylan Dyson just a few moments ago, well, they've extended registration till 8 p.m. tomorrow. So if you thought, if you're sitting there thinking, I haven't registered yet. I haven't registered yet. I've only got 23 minutes. Harriet, how am I going to register? I can't register in 23 minutes. Well, they've extended it until tomorrow. At this point, I do not believe that they're going to extend voting. I could be wrong. But registration is extended until 8 p.m. tomorrow. At this point, I believe that the uh, the voting still closes at noon on Friday. So that is an extension as well. Uh, Doug Ford had been calling for it to be extended until next week sometime. I don't see that happening. Last time I talked to them, that did not sound like it was going to happen. Now, we all know that there was a a big event that happened yesterday here in Ottawa. It was huge. It was absolutely huge. It had to do with a, a certain scientist showing up here in the nation's capital. Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye, the science guy. He's not really a scientist. He's a guy that once worked as a mechanical engineer at uh, Boeing. But he's not a scientist, and neither is our prime minister. But as I said yesterday, both plays, they both play them on TV. So they're holding their meeting, and Bill Nye is pushing Justin Trudeau on issues like the pipeline. And trying to ask him, why are you even allowing these things to go through? The pipeline is, in, in the big picture, bad. But in this short, medium term, what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do? You shouldn't build it. Call them tar sands. Yeah, Bill Nye uses terms like tar sands, even though it's completely not scientific. Completely not scientific. Those are the types of terms he uses. Then again, he was sitting next to our prime minister who made term or made statements that weren't, in my view, overly scientific either. Every single human being starts off as a scientist. When you're a baby, you are a scientist. If I you know, make this noise, wow, I get milk. Uh, if I uh, push <laughs> this button uh, or knock this thing off the table, uh, it lands on me and it hurts. Now, a lot of people have been saying, well, that's not untrue. That's not untrue. That's experimentation. Why are you being so hard on him? Well, look, uh, if my dog barks, he gets food or gets out. The cat meows, they get food. They're not scientists. I'm not going to give them a lab coat and a, a beaker. Come on. But here's what really irks me, because I've been trying to find out Who paid for Bill Nye, the science guy, to come to Ottawa? You can find the story up at my website, brianlilly.com. It includes a screenshot of the speaking fee that Bill Nye charges. Now, remember, he lives in California, and he has to fly to somewhere like Ottawa. Burning fossil fuels, he doesn't fly on a Boeing jet that is backed by pixie dust and unicorn farts and good wishes. 
It uses jet fuel. But his speaking fee, according to the website, the range is between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars American. Now, I emailed the Prime Minister's office, and I do have to update the website because they got back to me. They said, we didn't pay for it, we didn't pay for travel, we didn't pay the speaking fee. So I asked University of Ottawa. They're not answering me, which leads me to believe maybe it's them. But somebody, and we're going to find out who, somebody, backed by the taxpayer, paid for this. Aaron Woodrick is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Aaron, um... Is there a public policy good that would, in your view, justify $75,000 American being spent to bring Bill Nye, the science guy, to Canada? Well, Brian, it's, uh, it's a pretty tough hill to climb there. I mean, this guy is, as you say, he's not an actual scientist. Um, he's essentially a celebrity. And I do wonder what the university, you know, assuming they're the ones who paid for it, what is the benefit uh, to university students. I'm not sure what the rest of his itinerary was, but, you know, given that we're constantly hearing how universities are short on cash, I'm not sure that dropping 75 grand on appearance of a pseudoscientist is the best use of that money. Uh, if it was the full amount, 75000 and I know that it could be as low as fifty, but if it was $75,000 without any meal fees or travel, because believe me, some of these guys, they, they charge you the full rate, and then you've got to pay for their travel and their accommodation and their meals on top of the astronomical speaking fee. But let's say it was just the $75,000 U.S., that's $96,844 Canadian at today's exchange rate. That's really hard to justify. I mean, look, as I say, universities are always complaining they don't have enough cash to pay for, for faculty, for buildings on campus. So to drop nearly $100,000 on speaking fees for one person... Uh, that is uh, really tough to justify. Now, did, did you end up watching it or did you just hear the highlights like, like this clip here? Every single human being starts off as a scientist. When you're a baby, you are a scientist. Did you, did, you, did you watch the whole thing or did you just hear that when you're a baby, you're a scientist? That was my takeaway. And I, I, I got to say, for a prime minister that's been struggling lately uh, for the view of his seriousness i'm not sure that i'm not sure that that was the best uh, appearance for him to make that day um because when i look at the whole thing it was it was an armchair discussion that's how they build it and that's what it was they were both sitting in these nice chairs next to each other and um despite the fact that i'm sure they're both wonderful feminists they had a woman on each side that kind of got pushed to the side of the conversations very quickly and it was just the justin and bill show and they fielded all the questions. They did the talking. And it seemed to be about fluffing up how great the government was and how great their budget was for investing in science. It seemed like an advertorial for the government's budget, which, let's face it, didn't get the kind of media attention they wanted last week because everyone was still talking about the trip to India. Yeah, and it was a very disappointing budget from our standpoint, Brian. I mean, I guess the one silver lining was they didn't actually uh, put spending through the roof for once. Uh, they kept a pretty good lid on it. Uh, the problem is they boosted it so high in previous years, there's just still a huge deficit, and they didn't lay out any plan at all to get back to balance. I mean, this was a government that explicitly promised 
We're going to do three years of modest deficits, and we'll have, we'll be right back to balance. They're nowhere near that. And as far as it stands now, we're not slated to get back to balance for 27 years. And I do not think that anyone can make a serious argument that that's what people voted for uh, when they voted Liberal in the last election. I think they voted to have Bill Nye, the science guy, come to the University of... I'm joking. Uh, you're right. They, people that said, okay, three years of $10 billion deficits, and that'll boost the economy and uh, take care of some problems... Um, it was, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Fine. I can, I can get on board with that. But when in the third year, the deficit is still almost double, it's what, 18.5 or 18.9? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and the crazy thing too is remember back in 2015, when the economy was weaker and people were debating whether we were in deficit or not, the liberal argument was, well, we need to boost the economy. We need to run big deficits to boost the economy now. Well, the economy has been doing great the last year. And yet suddenly that argument's nowhere to be found now. Uh, you know, if you have to spend when times are bad and spend when times are good, I think the obvious question is, when do you ever turn the taps off? Are we past the point where people believe that we have to have fiscal prudence? And speaking with Aaron Woodrick, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, do you think that we're past that point? There was a an era where NDP governments, liberal or NDP contestants to be government, uh, liberals, conservatives, they all would say we've got to balance the books. After Paul Martin balanced the federal books, it became kind of a a point of religion for almost two decades, and, and now it seems to be completely out the window. Is it completely gone, or is the public on one side and the politicians are on the other? Yeah, I don't think it's completely gone. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we're hardliners at the CTF. We're very hardcore on this. We think deficits are bad because they tend to get away from governments. But I think even the average person who's maybe comfortable with a little deficit for a little while, they start to get pretty uncomfortable when they're bigger and longer. And I think that is the problem that we have here. This government um, is banking on the public not caring about these big deficits. Uh, but I think you're starting to see it reflected in public opinion, too, that people are not quite comfortable with these deficits going on uh, forever. Uh, you said 27 years. What would that take us to? We're at, uh, 2045. Uh, 20, okay. I was going to try and do the math in my head, but thank you. That that saves me some mental pain. 2045 is when we would get out of deficits right now. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that is something. Yeah. Scary yeah, thought, pretty, too. Um, I, I hope to be retired by then, <laughs> which means my kids and possibly grandkids will literally be paying this off. Yeah, and I mean, look, let's hope that uh, that let's hope that things improve, even with their big spending. You know, if the economy does well, uh, the deficit can be smaller. But the fear is, of course, every time they find a little extra money in the pot, they don't look what look at paying down debt. They just look at pushing it out again. Uh, you know, to their to their favorite special interest. Well, let's hope that uh, governments of all sizes look. We we could be facing a uh, a new government in Ontario. Let's hope that they're more sane than the current one, but. I always get worried anytime anyone gets their hand near that cookie jar. Well, exactly. And we just saw today uh, the provincial government announcing they're going to bring the budget down in a few weeks. And remember all that talk about balanced budgets? It's out the window. They're going to run another big, massive deficit in Ontario, which has just got to be head-shaking for folks who've seen this government uh, blow through $170 billion in debt since they came into office. Uh, so let me ask you about that quickly. Uh, okay, I'm going to be talking with uh, John Wright, uh, pollster with uh, Dart Insights in a in a few moments on that that very issue well more where the the population's going in terms of what whether they want change but it, they they promised to have balanced books they said last year they they claimed they balanced the books but it was kind of pokery widgety yep. stuff uh and now they're just straight out to yeah we're going to let it bleed again 
Yeah, it's it's pretty disgraceful, Brian. I mean, these people just don't give a hoot about who they're sticking the bill with here. And today they had the nerve to frame it as choices, about making choices. When it's what about they do is keeping it's, their own jobs. Well, it's the opposite of choices, Brian. Making a choice is saying, here's how much money we have. What are our priorities? These guys don't want to make that choice. They're gutless. And so instead, they just spend on whatever they want, and they stick the next generation with the bill. So I think uh, I think it's not surprising that public opinion is you know looking forward to seeing the back of them. To quote a former federal liberal leader, do you think it's easy to make priority? <laughs> Aaron, good talking to you. Cheers. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We got John Wright coming up just after eight. Just after eight thirty, Tony Bernardo will join us. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, going to talk a little bit more about Sophie when we come back. The leader of the unofficial opposition, Brian Lilly, is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Some of you will think this is cause to celebrate. Some of you will think it's cause to uh, throw bricks at the radio. I don't know which side you're going to come down on. But uh, two years ago today, this radio program started. That's right. We kicked off two years ago today. I'm just scrolling through SoundCloud to see if I I even have any of the first episode up. If so, we'll bring it uh, to you later on, let you hear how bad I was, you know. We'll see. Uh, Two years ago today, Beyond the News kicked off a new era for CFRA at night. So I hope you're still enjoying it. You can drop me, uh, if you didn't buy me flowers or send me a card, uh, you can send me an e-card or a nice email later on and uh, and let me know what you think. Beyondthenews at CFRA.com. That is the email address. Now, I want to talk again about Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. This is one of the things I was blogging about earlier today because just looking at it again this idea that it was not her choice wasn't her choice to to turn around and use all those designers it was the professionals that's one of the things I as I said before I'll grant her I'll grant her a pass when it comes to taking photos with people like Jasper Atwal. First time I ever saw him. Uh, when we stand in a, photo, in a photo line or when people come up to us to ask pictures, yeah. it's always a moment where I remind myself it is their moment. Yeah. And it is my moment because these people are showing me trust yeah. and confidence. Right. So I stand there with all my presence and I take a picture and uh, with pleasure. And I feel the same way. And if you bump into me at an event, a station event, community event, Bill's Big Breakfast, whatever... And you want a photo? You want to come up and say, hey, Brian, like the show. Can we get a, can we get a photo? I'm going to say, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's what it was like for Sophie and Jasper Latwal. She is not the elected politician. She's not the elected member. She is the political spouse. And I tend not to criticize political spouses. They didn't sign up. Well, they signed up for it, but they're not the ones with their name on the ballot. It's not their policy. But in that interview with Don Martin yesterday... And you can see the whole thing up at CTV or you can find it on 
on my website at, at brianlilly.com. The whole thing, she ends up defending her husband's government policy. Hey, they're married. I would assume she agrees with them. It doesn't always happen, but I'm assuming that if your husband was the prime minister, you wouldn't be saying, he's got really bad ideas. They're horrible. I can't believe you voted for him. That's, that's not going to happen. But she's talking about government policy and using the term we. We did this, what we need to do. And so she's kind of getting into that. It's not too much of a big thing. But when Don asked her about the clothing, this is what I want to hammer on again. And, and if you're concerned about it, you can find my postings on, on, on the website, on Twitter, on Facebook. Just go share them. Let other people know what she's saying and that this just simply isn't true. She's trying to blame her staff for taking a tickle trunk full of outfits to India that people in India went, that's too Indian for an Indian. Here's her comment when Don Martin asked her about the, the outfits. It's not a vacation. Right. It's serious work. Right. And it's a crazy rhythm. And the kids are really good to adopt because it is really crazy. Um, I think it's important to also know that on official trips, you, you listen to, you know, to officials who guide you in, in also clothing choices because there are certain places where you have to have your head covered, for example, or whatever yeah, it is. I and I listen to the, to the professionals. She listens to the professionals. She listens to the professionals on what to wear. I don't really think so, because earlier in that same interview, what did she say? She talked about boosting Canadian designers. I think it's great that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau promotes Canadian fashion designers. It's got to be a tough line of work to be in. And they don't get a lot of credit compared to the international. They don't get a lot of attention compared to their international competitors. And Sophie Trudeau is going to get a lot of attention. So if she wears a Canadian designer and looks good, people are going to say, oh, who's that? Who are you wearing? Even though we're not supposed to ask women that anymore, who are you wearing? They still want to know, who are you wearing? I love that dress. I love that uh, pantsuit. I love that blazer. I love that whatever. What is it? I want to get that. So that part is good. The part that's bad is for her to turn around and say that she promotes Canadian fashion designers, admits that she took all these outfits to India from Canadian fashion designers, promotes the fact that they are often made by Syrian refugees that are seamstresses in the the plant that makes them, and then says, no, 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 but it wasn't me. I mean, I went out and found this person in Toronto, and I love her because she hires Syrian refugees, and and it's really important to promote Canadian designers, but I only did it because the staff told me to do it. It's the staff. It's the underlings. It's the nannies. It's them telling me what to do. Do you buy it beyond the news at CFRA.com? I'm guessing you don't. And again, it, share this story. You can find it on Facebook. It's Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, Twitter.com slash Brian Lilly, or Brian Have I said my name enough yet? Maybe not. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, good news for you if you are looking for change. On June 7th in the Ontario election.
resurgent? Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. We have choices to make now. We have a, a software economy. Expectation of growth is lower than we had anticipated. We have uh, a number of revenue sources that aren't being achieved. We have uncertainty when it comes to NAFTA and when it comes to rising rates in the future and the degree of uh, high consumer debt. That's Charles Souza, still Ontario's finance minister. Remarkably, uh, so many people have jumped ship, including Dr. Eric Hoskins, the health minister recently Running away from Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberals to take a job with Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals to try and bring in national pharmacare. That's a story for another day. But so many of the key people in the Ontario government have left because they see the writing on the wall. But instead, Charles Seuss is not only sticking around, but he's turning on the taps and he's turning them on hard. And he's hoping that if he sprays enough money around the province, maybe the Liberals will get back in on June 7th. But the latest polling numbers come from Dart Interactive and my friend John Wright, who I've been dealing with John for more than a decade on polls. He's one of the guys that taught me so much about how the the art and the science of polling works. And John, I described your numbers earlier today as a meltdown for Kathleen Wynne's liberals. Well, thanks, Brian, for letting me be on the air. Uh, you know what? Uh, when you take a look at these numbers, one of the things that we do is is actually not ask about whether somebody's going to vote for another government at this stage. We've got a leadership convention underway. We've got, you know, the messages from the uh, finance minister. People really haven't been into the campaign. So what we actually ask is whether or not, first of all, um, the government should be replaced or it deserves to be reelected. That's a really important question. And so it's one of the things that you taught me early on was it's a relative of the change question. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and you can have a, a government that has, you know, on the surface, they're great numbers, but they can be soft. And then you ask, is it time for a change, which effectively you've done? And mm-hmm. people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, get those guys out. No, Brian, you're absolutely right. I mean, to put this in perspective, if we had asked this question for Dalton McGinty in his last run-up, we would have found about 39% who would have said that the government deserves to be reelected. But his numbers in terms of vote, would have been about 28. So we would have said, listen, he's got a chance to grow into this. You know, it's the difference between 28% and 38% in that range, and you need 37% to get a majority. That's the the magical number here for Ontario. And, and, And that was the election where he got a minority. He retained power, but it was a minority. And Correct. He had that that room to play with. So what, right. what are what what are Kathleen Wynne's liberals looking at now? Well, if if Dalton McGinty had twenty eight percent, she has fourteen percent, somewhere in that fourteen to sixteen percent, depending upon when you've done Yikes. the poll. And if you want to grow into that, she's got nineteen percent at the moment. Okay, so she can grow from fourteen or sixteen all the way up to nineteen. Yeah, you know, if you take that in terms of of figures, you know, that can be significant. A, a 3% growth when you start at 14, it, you know, that that's huge, but you're still only at 19% support. Well, we ask these people who, you know, 81% want change in the province. We ask them, what, you know, who do you want to run the, the, the province? And you've got 54% who say the PCs, 
30% who say the New Democratic Party, and 16% who say others. So then you do some mathematics on this. You do a little calculus, and you figure out, well, in terms of the preference, not the vote, but the preference for who should run the province, 44% PC, 24% NDP, Liberal at 19, other at 13. Very close to where... Mike Harris was when he won the majority at forty five percent. So And that was nine that was the ninety five election? Yeah, it was very yeah. much so. And and it it's kinda like when you go into an election campaign, this is the most important question because it, it determines what the wind is like. So you've you've either got wind at your back or wind in your face and, and Kathleen Wynn at the moment has got a gale force and I think when you played the clip off the top, it was really important because the first part of what uh, Minister Souza said at the luncheon today was that they were going to spend on health care, mental health, a whole series of things that actually uh, Mr. Brown had in his platform. But, but hey, basically- One of the things that I really liked in the People's Guarantee, and I didn't like all of it, but I looked at it as an overall document and thought, okay, there's good and there's bad in there. But one of the things I liked was the big investment in mental health. And I think most Ontarians are beginning to realize that this is something that has been falling through the cracks. Right. And so what you look for in any election campaign, as you and I know, is a ballot question. And that is when you go to the poll and you actually mark your X, it's not generally about the person who's going to lead a party. It's about the issue that they've defined. And the first part of his speech was actually about health care. And so it was set up to sort of say, well, who do you trust to serve you when it comes to health care? Is it going to be us, the liberals, or will it be them, the Tories? And the sense being that the Tories would cut everything and do all kinds of stuff. So trust us. But in the back half of the speech, he talked about a deficit. And the problem with that is that most people in this province believe that there's actually a hell of a lot of fat down in Queen's Park. And even if you cut out that fat, remember, this is the government that had e-health, which cost a billion dollars, you know, under the McGuinty government, and then they've had orange and a whole series of other things. You know, even when it comes to health care, people believe there's a lot of fat there. So when I looked at these numbers, two things came to mind. Number one, I'm not sure that the ballot question that the, that the Liberals are putting out there is going to be sustained. I mean, there's going to be a lot of attacks by the Conservative Party saying, listen, there's a lot of fat here. We can cut it out and still do everything you want to do. Number two, though, is that when you really look at what they've, they've put forward, there's not a lot there to campaign on. They've already done the pharmacare. They've already done the minimum wage. They're, they're trying to do... And we uh, know voters are fickle. It's, uh, what have you done for me lately? No. It, you know what, Brian? I, I think this is one of these cases where the, the, the voters are baked in. They've looked at this. They've understood this. And when you say that 81% of people in the province want change, you're taking into a lot of liberals. A yeah, lot I, of NDP. Look, you and I have covered a lot of elections together. Speaking with John Wright with Dart Insight and Communications, he's uh, you know almost thirty year Ipsos. veteran in polling. Yeah, used to be with Ipsos for yep. twenty six years. And uh, and so you and I have talked about a mm-hmm. lot of elections and a lot of campaigns, John. I, and I, I've never seen a government in this position. Well, you'd have to go back to the polling that I did uh, and released with CTV. 
uh, under the Brian Mulroney uh, years. Which okay, yeah, that's before my time. I was a short-order cook from <laughs> college at the time. <laughs> well, I was doing that campaign, and I can tell you this. In the final weekend that we did the polling, wasn't on Brian Mulroney, but it was on Kim Campbell. Mm-hmm. Brian Mulroney left the party at 17%. So that you know, let that sink in for a moment. Given what we've got, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau at and everybody else, this was at seventeen percent. You look at Kathleen Wynne; she's between fourteen and sixteen percent personal approval, and her government is at nineteen percent reelect. And I remember that weekend when we were working for CTV and we did the modeling for the numbers that we got back, and it was on the Sunday night, and we were going to present the uh, the numbers on Sunday. Uh, because the vote was on Monday, and we could do that. And we looked at it, and we said, my God, you can only get two seats. And they said, this is impossible. You could never get that. <laughs> so you and actually we, modeled the, the two seats? I mean, I'm not saying yeah. you picked out, um, it was Jean Charest, and I forget who the second was. Well, it was... Um, it was another guy in Quebec. You, you picked that out? That they were oh, only so going to get two seats? The modeling actually showed two seats. And when we talked to each other on Sunday morning, we thought that the polling was wrong. I mean, how could you... You thought it was the 20th poll for those yeah. 19 times out of 20. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, they did report it. Lloyd uh, Robertson did not report it the next night. And we went in the election campaign, and there, there it showed up two points, uh, two seats. Um, so you know, the, they are looking at a complete potential for a complete meltdown. If these numbers hold, and, and yours are not out, outside of the norm of what other polling firms are getting at the, at the moment in Ontario. No, in fact, if you take a look at Ipsos polls or, or anybody else who's doing this stuff, they're pretty much in the same range. In fact, and what's interesting to me is that the 905 region, which is in uh, Toronto, just outside of Toronto, that band, which in fact delivered for the Liberals last time, you know, let's let's remember that in the Toronto area there are a lot of seats. Mm-hmm. So you only have to have a few more percentages than other places in in order to pick those up. So in the last election campaign, we had uh, close to four percent, not much, who actually voted for Kathleen Wynne on the day in the ballot box. So only four percent, and it changed everything because she said, "Don't vote for the NDP. Vote for me." and everything will be okay. So that's what 4% did, and it changed the whole outlook of the election campaign. You're looking right now in the greater Toronto area, 905, at a preference for the progressive conservatives at 53%, the New Democrats at 16%, the Ontario Liberals at 19 and other at 12. This isn't even close. Which just blows me away. One of the things that I found interesting, though, John, and you know me, I always go into the crosstabs. I go deep into yes, this and say, yes. okay, what's going on mm-hmm. is I often look to say, okay, is there a big difference between men and women or age groups? And what shocked me is that women are just as likely, if not more likely than men, to say, this government has to go. Well, and in, in fact, if you take a look at... Uh, in fact, Trudeau, I just pulled up the numbers. It's 83% of women yep. say, time for another party, 79% of men. Quite often, women lean more liberal than anything else. The first campaign that I was involved with in terms of providing advice was in 1985. It was a leadership convention, and after that, I kind of gave up uh, party politics and became agnostic. But Jane Papino 
who is the vice chair of the University of Toronto, said at that time, I remember this very clearly, that there are no women's issues. There are only issues of importance to women. And you have to think about that every single time. So the, the federal government is all about gender, when in fact a lot of women care about the economy. Mm-hmm. They care about jobs. They care about all those other issues that are substantive to how they live their lives. And the problem with this is that we've got a lot of women right now in the province of Ontario who say, listen, you know, Kathleen Wynne may be, you know, female, but the reality is that her government is not responding to the needs that I want uh, to have. And I don't think at this late stage that promising daycare for everybody or health care or whatever else you want to promise, uh, to promise is going to have that much of an effect because, you know, most people have said this government has got so much fat in it, it's actually to the left well, of the NDP. We you know, need D- to Doug, Doug Ford, and I'll leave you at this, you know, we'll figure out in a few days, unless yep. they extend it, who's going to be the leader. Yep. Uh, but. When Doug Ford, one of the potential PC leadership candidates, is asked about finding, okay, if you scrap your carbon tax plan, how are you going to find the money? And Doug says, it's only a couple of percentage points. And when I ask people, can I find 2% savings in the provincial budget, they laugh. Because most of us can find 2% savings in our household budget. So let me leave you with two things, because you're in Ottawa and I'm in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Number one. When Rob Ford decided that he was going to run to be elected as mayor, the the, uh, Smitherman campaign that was against him said, we're going to throw stuff at him that during the summer, such as a DUI in Florida and some drug issues in the fall. Uh, This is for Rob Ford, yeah. And it never did. Yeah. There was a juggernaut, there was a propellant of change that was behind this. The second thing is that when you talk about change when it comes to uh, Doug Ford, and you talk about the actual issues and whether or not there's money there to cover everything, most people believe that there actually is a whole lot of fat at Queen's Park. And so I think that, you know, what the biggest issue is right now is whether or not people believe that the money that's being spent at Queen's Park is out of control. And that, the, you know, whether it's the NDP as a conservative progressive party, and that we haven't talked about them, we have to watch them as being the conservative progressives as opposed to <laughs> progressive conservatives. That party moving up the middle, because the liberals are to the left, and the conservative party to the right, if most people believe that whatever is being put out in Queen's Park is fat and they can cut it out, and a lot of people are going to say, let's go with them. So I, you know, uh, we'll see what happens uh, ne- next Monday. The next poll that we do will probably be a month from now so that everybody has a chance to digest all of this stuff, and then we'll see where we go. Well, let's make sure we talk then. John Wright with Dart Insights and Communications. John, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Brian. Always a pleasure. I tell you, that guy has taught me more about polling than I can ever thank him for. So um, when John Wright in... Daryl Bricker, they're not partners anymore, but when those two guys tell you something, they know what they're talking about. They've been at this a long time, and so the Ontario Liberals on their way down. I mentioned it's the second anniversary of the show. Stephen Ellsworth, erstwhile producer of this show, went and found the very first show. I'm going to play a short clip when we come back. It kind of relates to what we were just talking about there. One of the first guests... 
central to what's happening in Ontario politics right now. That and a a chilling fentanyl conviction in Ottawa today. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Later on in the show, I'll play you the opening of the very first episode of Beyond the News, and I'll ask you if you think I'm living up to what I said I set it, would set out to do. I, I'd like to think so, but you are the ultimate judge. You are the audience. Based on what I said at the opening and um, how I opened the show tonight, explaining the wage gap myth, it's not 69 cents on the dollar. It's an 8% gap, not a 31. And anyway, more on that later. I think I'm holding up what I promised you. But I want to, we, we were just talking about Ontario politics and the fact that the PCs are so far out ahead. One of the very first guests on the premiere episode of Beyond the News was this guy. Where the Liberals want to create a Liberal slush fund, my response is that the cap-and-trade policy should be tax relief. It should be a dividend to, uh, to taxpayers in the form of broad-based tax relief. Patrick Brown defending his, tax, his carbon tax plan moments after he announced it at the Ontario PC convention here in Ottawa. It was the weekend before we launched... I went down and I did a, a video interview with him. We played the audio from the, the TV interview on the show. Um, I was the first person to interview Brown after he made that, that promise. Tell you, we, we get all the, the big players here. A couple of disturbing things. I, I mentioned the Guns and Gangs Summit. Now, it's a national thing, but it has a very local focus because... We're dealing with it here in Ottawa. I pass by the number every day. I believe it's 20 shootings and eight homicides. We've got it posted in the newsroom so that we can all keep track. And I say it's related. The increase, because it used to be eight homicides to be a whole year in Ottawa. Well, I say it's related to the opioid crisis, which is driving the drug trade, which results in people defending their turf. But it also results in an awful lot of overdose deaths and emergency visits. New stats from the province show that the number of emergency department visits related to opioid overdoses jumped 72% between January to December of 2017 compared to the same period in 2016. So in 2016, there were 4,453 opioid overdose visits to ERs, 4,453. In 2017, 7,658. In the first 10 months of last year, there were 1,053 opioid-related deaths compared to just 694 the year before, a 52% jump. The province's response 
is to hand out naloxone kits through pharmacies, and now they're offering up the the nasal spray version. It's called Narcan. Well, put that in the context of what happened at the Elgin Street Courthouse today, where a pharmacist, Wasim Shaheen, who used to run the Rideau Street IDA Pharmacy, it's up Rideau Street, past the Loblaws, towards Vanier. He was sentenced to 14 years in jail for fraud and crimes related to trafficking in fentanyl. He was convicted last fall, sentenced today 14 years. He tried to fake a robbery and claimed that a bandit, a masked bandit with a knife, had making uh, making off with more than $25,000 worth of fentanyl patches. Scary stuff. We'll talk more about that later in the program. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll hear from someone that was at that Guns and Gangs Summit when we come back. Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association was there. He said the focus was in the right direction, but will they have the right results? We'll find out. official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We remain committed to upgrading legislation to make it harder for criminals to have access to firearms, and to enhance public safety. Our measures will prioritize public safety while being fair and practical for firearms owners and businesses. That that was Ralph Goodale, our public safety minister, earlier today at the start of a a symposium, a forum, I'm not sure what they're calling it, on guns and gangs. And this is a real problem, whether we're talking about here in the nation's capital, where we've had more than 20 shootings, more than eight homicides this year. Whether we're talking about Surrey, British Columbia, where they're, they've got a huge murder rate locally. Or whether we're talking about spots like Toronto, Montreal, where gang activity is a problem. It is focused on gangs. And yet, a lot of the push by the media is about AR-15s. It is about law-abiding gun owners. It is about cracking down on those people. At the end of the symposium, Ralph Goodale said his focus is on guns and gangs. You heard him at the beginning. Here's what he was saying at the end. We have to be nimble in the way we're able to respond to this. Uh, And we, uh, uh, while we want national consistency and fairness, we will have to have regional flexibility. I'm not sure what he means there, but maybe our next guest does. Tony Bernardo is the president of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, a regular on this program. And, uh, Tony, you were at the big meeting today. I know that there is a push in the media after the Parkland shooting in Florida to say crack down on all guns. But this really did seem focused on an issue that most of our cities are dealing with. Increased gang activity, increased homicides as a result of gang activity. Was that the focus, or, or, or did it break off into different areas? No, absolutely it was the focus. I have to give 
Minister Goodell credit where it's due in this particular circumstance. This summit was focused on gang activity. It is a real problem here in Ottawa, and I know that larger cities will look at our homicide rate, our shooting rate, and say, well, that's nothing. But I remember when eight homicides in a year would, that would be the year. And now we're in the the first week of March, and we're already at that. We've had more than 20 shootings already this this year. People yeah, very, are concerned. Very clearly, Brian, and not just in Ottawa, but in, in certain locales all over the country, gangs have become a real problem. And what we heard today was uh, a lot of very uh, specific comments directed at Aboriginal gangs, First Nations. Um, they can't seem to get them under control. Uh, they're getting problems in downtown Toronto and Montreal, as you pointed out. Ottawa, of course, has got serious gang problems. But in, so in Vancouver. Surrey, British Columbia, what, what are they? Yeah. It's the United Nations gang, they call it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then there's another one that they were talking about called the uh, JOB gang, which is just off the boat. Okay, that's that's a okay. new one to me. Yeah, that was a new one to me, too. Um, like I said, this summit brought 300 people in from all over the country, and, and I was honored to be invited to attend that, um, you know, to, to give a perspective, if necessary, uh, regarding lawful firearms ownership. Uh, in fact, it wasn't necessary. The focus of this conference was on the gang issue, how to stop uh, the gangs from uh, getting firearms, how to stop them from conducting their criminal activities, and, and best of all, how to stop them from going into gangs in the first place. You know, one of the most recent uh, emails that we got about seized firearms from a gang bust in Ottawa, the police sent out a photo, and I've been out at the range with you. Uh, yep. I looked at this, the picture of this this gun, and I couldn't tell you what it was. It looked like a pistol at the back end, but it was a full-on rifle, and the, the police didn't say what it was, and I'm looking and saying, I don't even recognize that. I don't think that would be legal to take to the range. If I took it out to Stittsville or out to Bourget, I think I'd I'd be shut down pretty quickly. And, and these are the types of firearms would. that the the guys peddling drugs are, are are involved with. And let's face it, if you're involved in selling fentanyl, it is a highly lucrative trade. And I think that there is a correlation between the the spread of opioids across the country in all of our communities and the increase in gunplay because it's incredibly lucrative and they want to protect their stash. Absolutely. And if you can bring in a container load of drugs from offshore, why would anyone think you couldn't put the, drug, uh, the guns and ammunition in with the drugs to protect them? What was the main message you were hearing uh, today? I, I, I was in and out. It was on a live feed, so I didn't go out to the yep. event, but it was on a live feed. And I, I listened. It was talking about um, the, uh, the attempt to find gain initiatives or anti-gain initiatives to say yep, we, we've got to divert people. Has anybody had success with those sorts of things? What did you hear in, in that front yes, fr- there, during there the summit? Been, there has been some success, and there were some people that, that were at the summit that presented programs that they had done on a local level 
where they had managed to take a number of gang members and turn their lives around and, and, and take them out of the uh, illicit trade in drugs. Um, I, I think that there's not enough emphasis being put nationally on a, on a preventive strategy, and I think that that was the focus of some of today, was how do we do this on a national level? How do we make it work coast to coast? When Minister Goodale said we need to be nimble, but we need to, and we need to be fair nationally, but we need regional flexibility. Do you know what Absolutely. he was talking about there? I, oh, sure do, sure do, um, it, because we were talking about at, at, at various points today um, that, as I said, the Aboriginal gangs are completely different than the Caribbean gangs would be in Toronto or the Russian mafia or it, you know any one of the number of. Uh, gangs around the country. They're all a little different from each other. They have different reasons why people join and different uh, preventative strategies. Okay, so that, that that's what they're looking at. Okay, it's going to be an interesting time, Tony. Uh, just before I let you go, I know that the, uh, the Liberals are looking at bringing in gun legislation shortly. Yep. You're not on the Firearms Advisory Council anymore, but you keep your ear close to the ground on this. <laughs> Is there... I do. What are you hearing? What are, is it going to anger one group, make the other happy? Or are they going to search the middle ground? What do you know? It looks to me like they're going to be searching the middle ground, like they're, they're going to be trying to fulfill the campaign promises they made without causing undue stress on our community. Uh, I'm hearing things like, for example, on authorizations to transport, which is a a document, now an electronic document, that you need to move a restricted or prohibited firearm. One of the reasons you can do this is to take the firearm to a border crossing to take it into the United States. And I'm hearing things like they're going to uh, put a regulation attached to that so that you can only use that particular border crossing if you have the corresponding American paperwork to bring the firearm into the U.S. Well, of course... Nobody but a complete and total idiot would do that without the American paperwork. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, it'll, it'll get you in trouble the, at the border. You're about to have the worst day of your life, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's things like that, you know, that that I'm hearing. I know that there's a a huge impetus to fix the infamous United Nations marking system. And as you know, we we have been trying to get some sanity into this United Nations marking system for the last 13 years. Well, it appears, touch wood, that, that Minister Goodale has actually been listening to the proposals we've been putting forward for at least the last decade of how to fix this problem so that Canada can comply with its United Nations commitments at the same time they don't hurt Canadian businesses. Okay. Well, it, we'll we'll check in with you when that legislation comes along. But uh, uh, safe drive back to Toronto, Tony, and uh, and all the best. Thank you very much, Brian. Have a great day. All right, Tony Bernardo, the president of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, joining us on his drive back from Toronto. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Um, you can drop me a line. Uh, do you have faith that Minister Goodale and all these local officials are going to be handling this issue properly? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Back in moments.
You can listen to Be Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'll have an update for you in just a second on the Ontario Provincial Leadership Race and what's going on there. But before we get to that, our Prime Minister, he can't help himself. Turns out that not only does he say babies are scientists, but two days in a row, he's claimed that there is a Nobel Prize winning scientist in his cabinet. The interesting thing is, as soon as we actually put forward uh, that cabinet, uh, nobody made arguments about merit anymore because the, the, the background, the experience, the CV, a Nobel Prize winning scientist uh, who happens to be a woman in charge of the Ministry of Science. Uh, uh, except here's the thing. Christy Duncan's who he's talking about. She's the science minister, also the minister for sport. She is not a Nobel Prize winning scientist. There's been a lot of people have gotten in trouble with this sort of thing, including Michael. I say the hockey stick for climate change is real man. You can't claim that you are a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Now, how does this come about? Well, Duncan is a scientist. Is Specifically, she's got a doctorate in geography. Um... She's been an associate uh, professor of health studies at U of T. She's written and and lectured on pandemics and pandemic preparedness. Um, Describes herself as a a medical geographer. All of that's great. In fact, she is very focused on the spread of the flu. And I I believe back to the the Spanish flu of uh, 1918. But she is not a Nobel Prize-winning scientist, her official biography. And kudos to Global for picking up on this and doing the story and pointing it out. They say, they point out that her official biography on the Government of Canada website describes her as she served on the Nobel Prize-winning intergovernmental panel on climate change. That is how you are supposed to identify yourself if you were on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change when it won the Nobel Prize. You can't say that your scientific work won the prize because it didn't. But Trudeau made that claim today while he was down in Toronto. He made the claim yesterday while he was sitting next to the other fake scientist, Bill Nye, the science guy. Not saying Christy Duncan's a fake scientist. I'm saying Justin Trudeau is. So he's um, this is the guy that's out there saying he wants to do away with fake news. This guy creates fake news. You remember I, I pointed that out when he trotted out his national security advisor when I outed that it was his national security advisor spreading the Indian conspiracy theory? That's fake news. And he's telling Facebook and Twitter, you better deal with that or we're going we're gonna to regulate you. What about what comes out of your mouth, buddy? No word on that, though. Carolyn Mulrooney is joining Doug Ford in calling for a one-week extension 
on voting. The voting registration was extended by one day. Voting itself has been extended to Friday at noon. Carolyn Mulroney putting out a tweet a little over an hour ago where she says, I thank LEOC, that's the Leadership Organizing Committee, I thank LEOC for the one-day extension which will allow more members to vote. However, I am still hearing uh, that many members have not received their packages. This proposal to extend registration and voting is the right thing for democracy and for our party. I support it. And she actually retweeted Doug Ford. Doug Ford had tweeted out earlier in the evening saying, we are requesting an extension of the verification and voting process. The full membership must be given the opportunity to participate in this leadership race. And then he he tweeted out a full statement on his voting extension deadline request. He says, as we close in on the deadline for verifications in the Ontario PC party leadership vote, we can't help but have serious concerns that we believe need to be addressed immediately. As we continue to crisscross the province, we are regularly met with concerns from members who have not been able to exercise their democratic right to vote. Team Ford has and is continuing to receive thousands of calls and emails from disenfranchised voters about this issue. Voters are outraged, disillusioned, and confused. While we understand that the party is proud of the number of people that have voted thus far, we charge that the party, or we charge that the very substantial number of people that have been shut out of the voting process in this leadership makes this number immaterial. When thousands of people who have paid for memberships in order to vote for the next leader of the Ontario PC party do not get to participate because they were they are not sent verification packages, there is a big problem. We cannot say that we are are we cannot say that we are committed to an open and accessible system, one that is powered by the grassroots, and then shut out a huge portion of our membership. He goes on. It'll be interesting to see what the other campaigns say. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that Christine Elliott would be out for Jeremy Roberts tonight. She was not. Uh, Vic Fidelli was there at his acclamation meeting. Uh, Lisa McLeod was there. I didn't get my invite. Why, why wouldn't I get an invite to that, Stephen? Um, anything happen with, between myself and Jeremy Roberts? It, did anything happen between Jeremy and myself that he wouldn't invite me? I don't think it crosses my mind, to be honest. No, no, no nothing yesterday? No? Okay. Uh, by the way, Jeremy Roberts did send me a note apologizing for how the interview went yesterday, saying that um, he should have been willing to, uh, to be more open and answer the question which I I hear he has in subsequent interviews. So interesting that. Um, Just to turn away from politics for a moment, Dylan Dyson in the newsroom, you know, you think these people that you quote unquote work with are working and then you find out that they're watching soccer games. And that's what Dylan Dyson's doing right now as he gets ready for the nine o'clock news update. I, I can't hear you, Dylan. You don't have your mic on. Can you turn on, uh, Stephen, can you turn on Dylan's microphone? Okay, because he can hear me. Can you, can, can you speak I'm doing a bit of both here, Brian. You're doing a bit of both? Yeah. You're, doing, you're watching some soccer and, and you're working? Yeah. Okay. Explain to me why you're watching soccer on a cold March evening. Well, it's a uh, it's the beginning of a big year for Toronto FC. Um, but but most people wouldn't think they're going on already. I mean, in March, if you're watching soccer, it's on a Saturday or Sunday morning, and you're watching the English Premier League or some 
Serie A out of Italy or something, right? That is very true. I do partake in both of those. But, uh, yeah, the MLS season just kicked off for Toronto. But even bigger tonight on a cold Tuesday night in Toronto, it's the CONCACAF Champions League. So what that is, it's the best teams in North America coming together to play a best of best. So it, it's like our version of the European Cup without the prestige. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but without the prestige. Yeah, it's not there yet. Definitely. You know, even if the Mexicans win it and, and Mexico would have the biggest soccer fan base, they'd be like, yay, we beat the Canadians. Yeah. I, I mean, for the, the Mexican champions, uh, Tigres, to beat Toronto FC, it's not going to be a big accomplishment for them. They've been here before, but. This this is a big game for Toronto FC. This is the the biggest test they've probably faced as a team in a competitive game. Um, it's a bit like last year. Do you remember the Ottawa Fury going up against Toronto FC in the Canadian Championship? I do. Yeah, that was you a know, big they, upset. They're in very very different leagues, and the Fury did not bad. No, yeah, and that's exactly kind of how it's going tonight right now. Uh, a lot of people thought uh, Tigres would dominate uh, Toronto, but they're kind of holding their own. It's uh, nil-nil at halftime right now, and this is the first of two legs. So they play two games out of the score, and then whoever has the best score over the two two games goes on to the semifinals. So first game and, and in the quarterfinals And it's tonight. aggregate, I'm guessing, yeah. which is how it's normally done in soccer. So if they can hold, it's Tigres? Yes. If they can hold them to one goal here and then score two... Just like that, yeah. They're then into the they, semifinals. They, okay. Uh, that's pretty good. Pretty good for them. And and um, uh, yeah, to hold a, you know Mexican champions to nil-nil, some people would say that's every soccer score. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm unfortunately going towards that camp now because I'm a big soccer fan, but I've been disappointed in the lack of scoring over the last number of years. But uh, th- that's still impressive for Toronto FC. Well, well, they've set up to not lose tonight. They're not. They're not exactly set up to win, but they're they're definitely going not to lose. So it may not be the most positive game you're going to see, but they're they're trying to win it over the two games, which is the main goal. All right, you'll hear from Dylan Dyson in a few seconds in the newscast. But there you got him for soccer as well. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to play the opening of the very first episode of this show and ask you if I'm holding up to what I promised you. And I'm sure we're also going to get a lot of calls from people that say they can't vote in the Ontario PC Leadership Race. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Hey, what was I doing in that news break there? I'm not like Dylan Dyson. I wasn't watching soccer. I was working. I was calling up the other campaigns and saying, all right, Caroline Mulroney and Doug Ford both back extending by a week. Where do you stand? Well, Tanya Cranick-Allen's campaign backs extending voting by a week. Christine Elliott's does not. The Leadership Organizing Committee is currently looking into all of these requests, drafting a statement, uh, trying to get a hold of folks who are actually part of LEOC. Uh, haven't been able to do that. It's amazing how many calls you can make in eight minutes. But uh, there is concern that extending by a week may actually violate the party's constitution and that lead to court challenges. Who knows? It's going to be messy. But so far, 66,000 people 
More than 66,000 people have registered to vote. That was as of earlier today, and more continue to register. And more than 41,000 have actually cast their ballots. That's the state of the Ontario PC leadership race. So that's the homework I did for you in the break, because I'm trying always to get you the best information to take you beyond the news. That's what we do here. Now, this is the second anniversary of the show, and I said I'd play you a clip from the beginning of the very first episode of Beyond the News. And I'll let you be the judge. Am I living up to what I promised you in that very first episode? Here is how the show started two years ago today. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Doesn't that song just make you want to get up and dance? Welcome to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. It's good to be home at CFRA, as I've been saying since they announced that I would be joining the team here on a regular basis. It's good to be home. But now instead of, um, you know, couch surfing throughout the station, now instead of sleeping in Rob's room or somebody else's room, now mom and dad gave me my own room now. So welcome to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, and I hope you're able to join us on a regular basis for this, either live, listening online at uh, CFRA.com or in the podcast. And I hope you're enjoying the show as we go forward. This show is not going to be caller-driven. We're going to take calls, especially later in the show. We'll take calls and we'll get feedback in, absolutely. But that's not the purpose of the show, and that's not going to be the design, nor is it to give you updates throughout the day the way they do on the drive home. I'm not here to get you up and out in the morning or to get you home with the safest route possible. My job here is to talk to you about what's happened throughout the day. My job here is to discuss what's going on in the news, maybe give some context to it. That was the opening. I promised to tell you what was happening and give you context. I hope I've lived up to that. I hope that you feel that you get something a little bit different here. That it's not just the headlines. Look, there's a place for headlines. And let me tell you, I've, I've done Evan's show. I've done Bill's show. Those morning and afternoon drives, those are fast paced. You got to go, 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 go. You're trying to get people home. You're trying to get people out the door in the morning. You got to give weather. You got to give traffic. You got to give news headlines, a bit of talk in between. And especially in the morning, it's lighter because who wants to be depressed first thing in the morning? Nobody wants to be. You don't want to wake up and hear the world is horrible. But at night, we get to kick back a little bit. Pour a whiskey, smoke a cigar. Okay, I can't do either of those things here in the studio, but you know what I'm saying? We get a kickback and take an extended look, and I hope that I'm living up to that. Getting lots of emails. I'll, I'll read out some of the nice emails because, hey, why not read out emails where people say nice things to you? But also taking your calls at 521-TALK, 521-8255. As I said, three out of four leadership contenders, Doug Ford followed by... Caroline Mulrooney, then Tanya Granick-Allen, all calling for the leadership vote to be extended by one week. 
Christine Elliott's campaign says no. There are concerns that it would be unconstitutional according to the party's rules. So far, 66,000 people have registered to vote and 41,000 have actually voted. Registration extended until 8 p.m. tomorrow, voting until noon on Friday. They still plan on announcing the results Saturday afternoon at the Hilton in Markham. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you have thoughts on the guns and gang strategy? Talking about gang exit strategies, talking about having different regional approaches to how this works because what's happening in Surrey is different than what's happening in Toronto is different than what's happening in Ottawa. They're not looking at doing what I feared they would do, which is targeting the law-abiding gun owners, the folks that go hunting on the weekend, the folks that go target shooting on the weekends. The great African-American economist Thomas Sowell describes why police do things like that. They've got a problem with violent criminals using guns, so they go after the law-abiding. And and the story is this, that there's a bank robber in Paris, and he, he knocks over the bank, and then he runs away. And he runs into this really tall building. It's a huge building. It's really tall. It's really wide. Covers a whole square block. And there's not enough police officers to block off all the exits. So the sergeant in charge tells the police officers to circle the building next to it. That's a lot smaller because they've got enough officers to do that. And then the police chief shows up and he says, okay, so the robber's in there. He says, no, he's in the next building. He said, well, why are you surrounding this one? And the sergeant says, because that's what we could actually do. Too often, that's how politicians react to problems, which is perhaps why, in an issue that I say is related to the guns and gangs problem that we're having, the province is handing out Narcan nasal spray free of charge through pharmacies across Ontario, even as, as I discussed earlier, we've got a pharmacist from right deaf stone's throw from here. That's the pharmacy he used to run, was the Rito IDA, sentenced to 14 years in prison for trafficking in fentanyl. The guns and gangs problem is directly tied to the rise in opioids and fentanyl. And you can see that in some of the charges that have come through. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Guy, the Capital Voice, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, good evening, Brian. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, Let me just get this here. Sorry, Brian. I just want to get... I want to ask you a question, Brian. In the last two years, what do you think? Uh, guy, you've gone, you've gone kind of quiet there. I can't quite hear you. How's that better? Yep. In the last two years, Brian, I've listened to you faithfully. I congratulate you on the style of your show, and I do agree exactly what you said. It's a different show. You can't do the same things in the mornings and the afternoons. I think I am your most faithful follower, so I'd like to ask you a question. In the last couple of years... What do you think the most important work you did was, and how did you make you feel the most difference in those three hours? And then I'll get to the guns and gang stuff that I saw. You know, I couldn't tell you. Come on, come on. I couldn't tell you. I haven't thought about it. Well, you do get to things faster than everybody, and you do report things faster than everybody. So to your daughter, Pasha, I think (laughs) she's wrong. You're thinking you're an arrogant person. I think that you do. She's 15. Don't don't pick on her. She's 14. 15, sorry. I know. Okay. I'm As Stephen Ellsworth says, the Fort Mac coverage where we went long. Yes. 
uh, is the his most memorable moment. We had some great interviews on that one. Um, we were flying by the seat of our pants on that. Well, you got the exclusive on Pam Simper and the market stuff. That's how I came to kind of get more of an affinity with you. I thought you did some great work on that. Oh, thank you. Uh, tie, tie, holding Trudeau to account and uh, a lot of the things that the mainstream media don't report on. I know personally in a lot of the groups that I participate in, Brian, that a lot of people put a very good value on some of on all the stuff that we don't hear in the mainstream media. And I think that is the single biggest reason for your following is because it is not mainstream. It is Ma'am, stuff. Because I try, I try and look people. elsewhere. You don't fish where everyone else is. Well, what? Jeffrey Johnson, great example. Some of your great interview and people who have who have uh, have come, uh, you know. And who's that other guy? The American guy, uh, the pollster. I uh, his name. The friend Rasmussen. Uh, he's with Rasmussen Reports. Fran Coombs. Ray Hurd, okay. uh, some great interviews there. Anyways, but, I won't, guy, I won't you, you were listening to the, the guns and gangs thing a lot today. Yeah. What, what what was your takeaway from from what went on there? I, I I thought there was some good. I can't say I listened to it all, but, you know, I was happy to see that they were at least looking at the real problem. Well, as a media monitoring service, my aha moment today that I, I sent to a few people was John Tory's comments at 1147 of today whether he, when he closed his comments right at the end after his standard OCAP speech that he repeated two months ago at OCAP, he did say something. He goes, I hope that this $325 million gets to, to the jurisdictions and gets to the front line. Because he says so often we see this money promised and it ends up going into the ether, quote, unquote. I thought that was very telling, and I think that you can relate to what I'm saying with regard to... Well, I think to, that happens with so many government problems. I agree. Uh, you know, look at... Look at problems, government programs. Example. Government exactly. problems, government programs, same thing. <laughs> now, my biggest takeaway was the things that CBSA are doing. I think, personally, because the Fed should manage and stay in their own lane, that a lot of this money should be placed to enforcement at CBSA and protecting our borders forthwith to Vern White and what he did many two years ago on opening under 30 gram letter mail, which carries very small quantities of fentanyl, which as you know, are very, very lucrative, but we're now into large scale fentanyl operations. And the fact that the CBSA is understaffed on the most important asset they can do for interdiction, sniffer dogs. Did you know that? That was a very good point today that that some of the data came out with that we don't have enough sniffer dog teams and that these things are highly effective on cursory investigations, both at border crossings and at the mail processing plants. They don't have enough sniffer dogs, Brian. The other thing that I thought was very, very interesting as well is that the ethnicity of the gang gang strategies was not available. Now, this was very troublesome for me because they have that data. But I think in a sunny ways, Canada now, anything with regards to dealing an ethnicity, to saying that a certain ethnicity is part of a structured gang um, uh, protocol. And, it's, and your, your last, Fernando said it. You know, you've got the Russians, you've got the Italians. Don't, Tony Chinese, Bernardo. John Byrne, you've got the Chinese, and you've got the Caribbean gangs. None of that data was released today. None of it was available, and none of it went into the study. It was obviously talked about at some point, because Tony Tony did reference it. 
now, what I can tell you about the the situation here in Ottawa, we used to talk about there being uh, an ethnic divide to our guns and gains problem here, and talking, which we all know, but nobody will talk about. Well, I have, and 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 I've talked to top level officers who will admit to me that yes, it used to be that way. But you know what they've told me, guy? Yep. And I've mentioned this, and, and you don't believe me on it. Mm-hmm. No, I do. I do. But that it's not that way anymore because okay. with fentanyl coming in. It's broken everything wide open, and it's kind of a free-for-all out there, which is why there is the violence. And that was very much and said today, Brian. It is, it is not a, you know, we used to have a Somali gang problem at one point, and that is apparently not the case anymore. And you look at some of the guys that are to hear. busted up together, you'll have five different guys, and they don't all have the same name. They don't all have the same ethnic background. They all have the same desire to get rich quick off of fentanyl. So, Did you see the section uh, on the social media networking uh, and how they're I, tracking social media? I didn't, but we're wow. we're past time, and Powerful perhaps you can tell stuff. me about that another I, time, I guy. I encourage you to, to look into that some more, Brian. And congratulations, Brian, on your second year anniversary. All right. We lost, we lost some greats two years ago. You know who those were, and we got you. So I guess you're the consolation prize. for. All right. Thanks, guy. 521-TALK, 521-8255. If you want to talk to your consolation prize, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Remember, he's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So, Jeremy Roberts, maybe you heard him on the show last night, uh, he uh, he held his campaign launch. It's not really a nomination meeting tonight because he was acclaimed. He held his campaign launch. Meanwhile, Joshua Henderson is a lawyer for Carmen McGregor, and he sent off a letter to the party saying that mm, they haven't shown proof that they followed the steps to properly remove Carmen McGregor. He says, not only has my client... Never received official notification from the party president or the nomination committee that her nomination was overturned almost one month ago. But over the last few days, she has received dozens of calls and emails from concerned members in Ottawa, West Nepean, who were not aware there was even a new nomination meeting. That in a letter from Henderson to the party's executive. The controversy out in Ottawa, West Nepean continues. Jeffrey Sharp, good to hear from you again. Yes, well... I attended that uh, gathering out of pure curiosity, and I'd just like to make a few general points. Okay. First of all, uh, it wasn't a very big crowd, considering the um, membership of the constituency. Uh, I'll mention the figure. The individuals that voted in the last nomination meeting was 1,445. That's an exact number. And there certainly weren't 1,445 individuals present. Well, they could have heard more about it last night, but Jeremy was shown the door. Well, look, it comes down to this. One can knock uh, Mr. Shirelli, but Mr. Shirelli has had a very successful career. He has been a member of the Legislative Assembly. He has been a cabinet minister. Mm -hmm. He He was the last regional chair. He was the first 
mayor of Greater Frankenstein. <laughs> but here's the point. I don't think Mr. Shirelli is trembling with fear because of Jeremy Roberts. Jeremy Roberts is a neophyte. He is not a resident of Ottawa West Nepean. In fact, the, pe- the majority of the people who were there this evening and well over the ages of 65, well over the age of 65. I'm afraid, uh, Brian, that there has to be a certain blend of ages. uh, Hold hold on. This guy's 26. Jeremy Roberts is 26. He's going up against the guy that's 76, by the way. He's coming 77. And you're telling me that it was mostly... People over the age of 65, nothing wrong with being over the age of 65, considerably over but, the age of 65. but if a 26-year-old can't get young people out at an event like this, that's a bad sign. Well, I think it basically speaks volumes that the individual is not known in Ottawa West Nepean. You say he doesn't live in the, well, neither does he Bob anymore. In Bob doesn't live in the riding anymore either. Well, yes, but he moved up in the world. He <laughs> could afford a bigger house. Well, I think he... he, he Look, uh, Bob lived in his family home for years. Uh, His wife passed away. His kids all grew up. He moved out, moved south. Well, I I, I don't blame him. And he he lived in that area for a long time while he represented him. And I say this as a guy that has run petitions to Mm -hmm. fire Bob. And but I I, I never attack him on his personal life or where he lives. He he served. He's been a public servant a long time. It basically comes down to this, Brian. The reality is that. The Progressive Conservative Party of Ottawa West is a corpse. Some people would say, not quite, maybe it's a zombie. But the reality is that in order to win an election in this district, and we've gone through the gambit, we've had Gary Guzzo, we had Mike Patton, we've had Denley twice, we had Beth uh, once in the by-election, Beth Graham. Mm -hmm. This individual just, is not up to it. He has said nothing about the criminal situation in the ward. He knows zilch about the public housing. He's a very poor listener. Now, I'll say this. Uh, If Doug Ford wins, this is going to be a significant event because I think Doug Ford is a mature individual who has the ability to reach out to the core of Trillium, the core of uh, the Alliance, and, and all these individuals are fundamentally conservatives in in the broad meaning of the word but jeremy roberts based on what you got out of him i would suggest this that an individual who um let us say needs to have his memories refreshed about some of the things that happened and finally i must say I left uh, because I didn't want to miss the current episode of The Blacklist, which I find a stimulating program. <laughs> okay, but we got to run, Jeffrey. But your last point? <laughs> the last point is that uh, Shirelli can be defeated, most definitely. But he can, he's not going to be defeated by the combination of individuals who were there this evening. And if there's anything worse than a false friend and a backstabbing so-and-so, and there were several of them there, Oh, yeah. One of them who's an MLA, well, the rest of the imagination. I think most we, listeners know who that person is. We got to cut it there, Jeffrey. We're well past time for the news. Thanks for the call. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA.
This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I think this is one of the original songs that uh, we started with, isn't it? Little Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses. Yeah. My Are you own- sure the Radicals get what you give is another? Yep. My only rule for picking music, no classic rock. And therefore, no rush until uh, until I go on with Bill Carroll in the morning. Yes, I, I remember. I, I'm sure he'd be okay with U2. I know U2 is one of your favorite bands. Well, rush, and they're not, not so classic rock. <laughs> I mean, if you want to play me classic rock, and you can you can bring this on up right now and play it if you want. You can play it under me. It's called Magic Power by Triumph. Because that is amazing. Canadian power trio rock. There was a version, a live version that you can find online of Magic Power by Triumph done at the US Festival down in Texas. Huge music festival. I think it was put on by Wozniak, the, the the other guy behind Apple. There were two guys behind Microsoft and two guys behind Apple, and in each case, the other one left early, right? So you had Bill Gates stayed with Microsoft, and Paul Allen disappeared. He went off, and I, I think he owned the Seattle Supersonics for a, a time. And then you had Steve Jobs, and I think it, again, another Paul, but I think his last name was Wozniak. I, I might, hope I'm saying it correctly. And he bailed, he cashed out early and got all kinds of cash. He started putting on music festivals. Wouldn't that be amazing? One of the big bands that played there, Triumph. Now, I keep trying to convince Bill Carroll. Triumph is superior to Rush. I haven't been able to do it yet. Now you got to crank this a little bit there, Stephen. Got to boost it louder. Yeah, these guys are closing in on 70 and thinking about retirement now. I'm pretty sure I got them confused with an artist and you absolutely grilled me for it. I can't remember who, though. So that's my classic rock band is Triumph. But I tend not to play the classic rock on the show. We tend to go for uh, more 80s, 90s stuff, stuff that I grew up listening to and uh, possibly you did, too. 521 Talk, 521 8255, Star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1 800 580 CFRA. You know, one of the most popular posts that I had today was uh, on Sophie. And over the last two nights, on, it's amazing how things do differently online versus on the radio. And online, people are eating up this story about Sophie and the fact that she was blaming her staff for the outfits in India. They can't get enough of it. Bill Nye, the science guy, that we paid 70, 50 to 75 grand U.S. for this guy to come and, and speak at the University of Ottawa. The PMO assures me it was not the Fed, it was not them. I'm not saying it wasn't anybody in the federal government, but the PMO says it wasn't them. 
University of Ottawa, they have not gotten back to me to tell me what they think. So we'll see. We'll see. But his speaking fee is fifty to seventy five thousand US. But the most popular story that I've done today online is Sophie Gregoire Trudeau blaming staff for those outfits in India. Posted the video from her appearance with Don Martin yesterday on CTV's Power Play. And then just put up my thoughts. It's all at brianlilly.com. And people are loving it. How many comments on there now? Like 15,000 people have viewed it and... I can't tell. Like 800 people have reacted to it. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Chuck, calling in about Trump on NAFTA. You're on Beyond the News. Go. Yeah, hi, it's uh, Jacques, actually. Oh, Jacques? Sorry, they put it down as Chuck. Well, that's okay. (laughs) We have two Uh, very different names. (laughs) No, my feeling, I heard on the news that Trump was saying that uh, Mexico should um, deal with their, uh, with, with the drug issue, the drugs flowing across the border in order to, in order to negotiate NAFTA and Canada would have to, um, uh, improve the, the farmer, the dairy farmer situation. Yeah. And that, that was his negotiation tool. He has said that. And there was a statement by uh, Sarah Sanders earlier today, uh, just looking to see if we have it, where she was, doesn't look like we do. She was asked about NAFTA, and she was asked specifically about Canada and Mexico, and she said that there might be some exemptions for Canada and Mexico based on national security. Uh, But... What are your thoughts on on him saying you've got to deal with supply management if you want to get away from these steel tariffs? Well, what set fire to my belly when I heard that was that, uh, look, what about the gun issue that we're having right now? You know, these guns are coming in from the United States. About at least 60 percent, yeah. So can we tell Donald Trump? deal with your uh with the trafficking of guns that that's your problem that's not our problem well i would normally say they're not related but since he's related the drugs and guns with mexico to that and i haven't heard that i'm taking you at your word though jacques uh then he was on ctv news then uh, he's he's entered it in so uh if he can say that if he can say uh look the onus is on you mexico to, to stop but, drugs coming into our country. We both understand that the the, the... the problem on the southern border of the U.S. is vastly, vastly bigger than what we face here with anything coming in from the states, though. But still, it would be a negotiation tool to tell, uh, to tell the, the United States, what, we have a problem. What, we have a big problem right now with, with, with guns, you know, what bugs, What bugs me, though, is that... Supply management wasn't really on his radar. Going after Canadian dairy farmers wasn't on his radar until our dairy farmers scored an own goal. They were upset about, I think it's it's worth about $10 million, this ultra-filtered milk that was coming in. 
And this was something that was not covered by supply management. And dairy farmers in Wisconsin figured this out and were selling it into our market. Again, only worth about $10 million a year compared to the, the vastness of our dairy industry. And our dairy farmers decided to change the rules to block them. And we put a 270% tariff on American milk. And they got really annoyed at that. And they're like, come on, you're not playing by the rules. As I always say on these trade things, nobody has clean hands. And I'm not saying that, you know, we screwed up because Justin Trudeau's in charge. It wasn't Justin Trudeau that made this move. It was our dairy farmers. I've always said this about trade, whether it's Harper in uh, 24 Sussex and the PMO or Trudeau or if it's Obama in the White House or Trump. Nobody has clean hands. Everybody's playing dirty for their own team. Well, exactly. And, and the first guy playing dirty is Trump. Because he's the one who, who, who sort of like decided to put, to put a, a tariff on uh, steel and aluminum. Yeah, but we did the milk. We did the milk thing first. Yeah, but I don't think this is a reciprocal action to the milk thing. This is a new thing. The milk thing has been around for years. Now, it was about uh, six to eight months ago. That this fight started with the milk. Yep, yeah, with with the ultra filtered milk that uh, oh. that really got him annoyed. So you think this is the the, I, the tariffs I, on steel and I think is- it's. I I don't think that's why he's putting the the tariffs on steel and aluminum. I don't, but I do think that he's going to use whatever negotiating tool he has. I think he's putting tariffs on because he thinks they work and they're good. Um. You know, I, I tend to think that they're bad, but we use them too. We use the... the we, we use tariffs as well. Yeah. You know, well, we, we, we've put them on American drywall in the last year. We, we have them on American uh, poultry, American dairy. We have them on all kinds of products that come in from the States. Mm-hmm. So, like, like I say, it, I'm not saying Trump's right. I'm just saying we're not the angels either. Both well, sides, you know, both sides have to be honest with each other and try and have a, a real negotiation. And I don't think either side is right now. And I don't think it's, it's basically the point that I'm trying to make is that these guns are coming in from the United States and they're killing our Canadian kids and our Canadian parents or whoever's dying as a result. Of these, but these guns are imported from the U.S. They're being smuggled in. And uh, if he wants to talk about smuggling and put the onus on Mexico for smuggling drugs, when the people who are consuming the drugs are Americans and Canadians, I mean, in a way, I, I don't like him putting the onus on uh, Mexico for drug smuggling into the United States. And I think that he should be uh, held accountable for the... Um, the smuggling issue with the, we have with the drugs, with the guns into Canada. Okay. Well, most of the drugs go the other direction because it's the bigger market, but the guns do come this way. Thanks for the call, Jacques. All right. Thank you. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And we do have a problem with guns coming north. We definitely have a problem with guns coming north from the United States. On the drug side, we send a lot of B.C. bud down to the, the U.S., and uh, Montreal has long been a junction for heroin down into New York City. 
You want to read The Sixth Family and watch The French Connection to learn about that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Be Lil. He's on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. This is the lowest that I've ever seen. I mean, you can't grow into 19%. John Wright, longtime pollster now with Dart Insight and Communications, talking about how low Kathleen Wynne and her Ontario Liberals have gone. I really do want to uh, encourage you to check out brianlilly.com each day. Um, it's kind of, if you want to know, get background on things that I am going to talk about or have talked about on the show. You'll find it there. And so up there right now are my thoughts on the the poll, the poll number showing the meltdown for the Win Liberals. Later tonight or early tomorrow morning, you'll get my background research on why the wage gap of 31 cents on the dollar is a complete myth. I'll explain all of that and I'll, I'll show my research. I will show my work, as they say. So... Let's just talk about those numbers for a minute, the Ontario numbers. This poll was taken in the middle of Patrick Brown's on-again, off-again leadership run. The party, the Ontario PC party, is in the midst of chaos and a complete meltdown. And whose numbers are in a meltdown? Not the Ontario PCs. The Ontario Liberal Party. Now, this was not if a vote were held today, who would you vote for type of poll. It was a, who would you prefer to run the province? John Wright says he'll do a standard who would you vote for if election were held today uh, question. Later on, when it is, when it's decided who the leader is going to be, closer to the vote. But in the midst of the chaos, 44% still said they'd prefer the Ontario PCs to lead the province of Ontario. That's 20 points above their nearest competitor, the NDP. So 44 for the PCs, 24 for the NDP, 19 for the Liberals, or 13% for other. Now, I'm going to guess some of those 13% are Liberals that don't want to admit they're Liberals, but some are Green voters as well. Some might be Libertarian Party voters or Trillium Party voters, or soon we're going to have... Can't remember what Jay told me the party's going to be called Ontario Alliance, I think. In the midst of all of this, people just want Kathleen Wynne gone. They want Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals gone. Let me tell you how bad it is. Normally, we talk about how nobody can beat the Liberals in Fortress Toronto. Man, I hate it when I pronounce that second T. Fortress Toronto just comes out sometimes. I say Toronto. As if I'm from somewhere else in Canada. You people in Toronto, nobody near it pronounces it that way. It's Toronto. 
In Fortress Toronto, it's third place for the Liberals, 22%. 31% for the NDP, 36% for the PCs. Here in eastern Ontario, I'm a little bit surprised. It's only 43% support for the PCs. The high is 53% support for the PCs in the 905 section of the greater Toronto area. That's basically the belt that runs from about Oshawa through to past Hamilton. That's what they call the, the GTA, that part of the Golden Horseshoe. 53%. That's staggering. That is absolutely staggering. The only place that the PCs aren't leading, Northern Ontario, they're in second spot. Because up there, it is NDP all the way. It's 40% support for the NDP, 27% prefer the PCs, and 14% prefer the Liberals. This is going to be huge if these numbers hold. Uh, Just before we go, I want to read a little bit of Patrick O'Shaughnessy's letter. He writes that Is this the original letter? No. Trying to decide which one's the the new one and which one's the the other. All right, so the new one. Less than a week ago, I created an open letter that was trying to address what I believe to be a very serious issue. The overwhelming reaction has been positive, and the letter resonated with a vast majority. The problem was that uh, was that the shelters in my immediate area make it difficult to be good neighbors, and I was simply trying to point out the issues with having three shelters in such close proximity and their impact on residents and businesses. Some people misconstrued what I wrote as somehow being in favor of the destruction of the shelters or even a direct challenge to homelessness. Nothing could be further from the truth. I believe deeply in providing a hand out and up to those in need. In fact, the point of this whole thing is to find better solutions that challenge the existing model, and many were presented in comments. It is my understanding that cities such as Zurich and Helsinki use a pod-based system to help those in need, Uh, get the help they need, and reintegrate into the community with great success. Reintegration and help with a person's problems happens uh, in a more bespoke style and is based on the understanding of the problem. When you have a high concentration of individuals in one area or shelter, that lowest common denominator, pushers, career criminals, can take advantage of those on the fringe. I hope to speak to Patrick O'Shaughnessy soon. We'll see if we can arrange that and... Because I think many of you would agree with him that there's a problem. His use of the word cancer, unfortunate. It allowed it allowed folks to jump on top of him and beat him up unnecessarily. But I think that there is a problem here. Both sides can have their say, and we'll try and do that later on. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News, the second anniversary edition. Thanks for being with me the last two years. Thanks for being with me tonight. Thanks to Stephen Ellsworth for making me sound good each and every night. And remember, I'm on your side.